Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always, and you're joining me a bit earlier in the week. I've got some time up my hand because I'm off sick from work after a little cricketing injury over the weekend uh, playing against my nephew. So yeah, just did my foot in. Not the greatest, but it'll be alright. <laughs> um, it isn't too bad, and I wanted to stay productive today anyway so I thought why not let's get this recording um, out of the way talk about the Hungarian Grand Prix which was on over the weekend as well a another weekend of records breaking for Max Verstappen for Red Bull Racing um, is that a narrative that's going to change this season and you know I still am crossing my fingers and and remaining optimistic that we will see uh, another team get into the winner's column this season, even though Hungary was one of those races I pinpointed early on might be an opportunity for someone like an Aston Martin with Fernando Alonso to uh, take a win away from Red Bull, but their trajectory has seemed to have fallen off a cliff in in recent races, so uh, that is not going to be the case. Uh, Looking ahead to Belgium as well this weekend, it's the last hurrah before the summer break for F1 um, through August there in Europe, and then of course supercars with the Sydney Super Night on this weekend as well. So let's get into it and hope everyone's doing well and haven't ended up injured, injuring themselves while trying to play any form of sport with their family members. Um, another weekend of record breaking, and you know it's hard not to get caught up in the the hype of uh, Oppenheimer as well at the moment. Still yet to see the film. I really do want to, but <laughs> quoting um, the Bhagavad Gita and the famous uh, quote that uh, Oppenheimer used in history about becoming death destroyer of worlds well you know you could say max is in a way uh but you know he's you know breaker of the records so it's a seven straight win for him uh this season he's only two off equaling the all-time record i think which is shared by both uh, michael schumacher and sebastian vettel sebastian vettel having set his um going back to 2013 which is more recent than when Schumi achieved it uh but there's a possibility that he might end up you know breaking that as well and when you think about it it's another it's another three races to to get to that magic number 10 so we'll see that but also for red bull um and i'm a bit disappointed for for in everyone um trying to hype it up this weekend or the weekend gone in hungary uh red bull getting 12 straight wins in f1 which breaks the record for most successive wins by a team uh set which was set by mclaren back in that dominant 1988 season um i'm a bit disappointed that you know it's been hyped up because of uh, the win that they had at the, the end of last season in Abu Dhabi. I mean, we shouldn't be talking about this until uh, the Belgian Grand Prix next up. So if they win Belgium, then we can be like, right, they've uh, um, broken that record. You know, they're, they're currently on 11 out of 11 for the start of the season or from 2023, the start of the, the season. They've got 11 straight wins. If they win in Belgium, then we can give them that record. So I don't understand why everyone's gotten on board with the idea that, you know, the the win from 
Abu Dhabi last year should count. It should be, you know, in a single season, if they get the 12th win, then they break that record set by McLaren in 1988. And wow, you know, I mean, it was an early prediction by some that 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 might be an eventuality, that they might win every single race. And, you know, (laughs) me being the optimist that I was, I thought, oh, perhaps, surely something's going to go wrong. It's a long season, you know, they can't win everyone. And here we are at the halfway point, and they have won everything so far. Um, Sergio Perez with two wins, Max with nine to his credit this season. It is just phenomenal the way that they've been operating, and no real chinks in the armour either when it comes to Verstappen, though his run of qualifying form did um, take a little bit of a hit because he was beaten to pole position by none other than Lewis Hamilton, who claimed his 104th career pole, breaking <laughs> breaking the previous record set by Lewis Hamilton for poles, but also his ninth pole at the Hungara ring, which takes him to, you know, which he broke his own record, or he broke the record of, you know, driver with the most poles at any circuit, and that had currently been set at eight by a number of drivers, including Hamilton, uh, Michael Schumacher, Ayrton Senna, um, who had claimed eight poles at um, particular circuits. I think Schumacher at, at Hungary as well had eight poles. Not too sure about that one, but I know Hamilton at Albert Park here in Melbourne had had several um, great qualifyings, and he had eight pole positions here so to bump it up to nine and you know just what an effort from Hamilton who would have thought that coming into the weekend that Mercedes would have been in a shout for pole position uh, even though they were on pole this time last year George Russell took pole um, but that was also due to the fact that Verstappen was starting out of position he had some uh, grid penalties to take so or I think it was group penalties, or he might have had something where he got caught out. I'm not sure, but it was either here or Belgium. That or Belgium, he had grid penalties for sure. He started from 16th, but um, Hungary, he started out of 10th last year and still won the race. So, you know, like Thanos, he is very much inevitable. Um, but yeah, on, on pure merit, you know, a straight fight between Red Bull and Mercedes, and Hamilton takes that pole by three thousandths of a second. So 0.003. That is a astonishing margin between those two and qualifying has been amazing lately you've got to say you know when everyone's got their um, cars turned up single lap pace you know Silverstone qualifying was electric as well and it wasn't even the wet conditions um, even though there was a little bit of wet at the start of Q1 but you know when you look at Q3 the the top 10 shootout you've got at least three or four cars all vying for pole and you know McLaren with their upgrade from uh, the last couple of races, the various upgrades that they've had, their pace further validated it at Hungary, which, you know, a circuit that is a lot more slower in, you know, corner characteristics by comparison to Silverstone, which people thought, oh, you know, it's those high-speed corners which are favouring uh, McLaren at the moment. But, you know, they, they did really well there, and they locked out the second row of the grid, Oscar Piastri featuring again, Lando Norris third, fastest in qualifying um and then the question marks over the likes of ferrari and aston martin and like aston i mentioned earlier you know on early season form particularly at the sort of slower speed corners or slower circuits 
they should have been up there. You know, everyone goes on about how Hungary is Monaco without the walls. Um, I don't know if, you know, that that saying's held up very well, uh, given the fact that we do see more overtaking here than at Monaco. But yeah, the Aston Martins really were nowhere. And when it came to qualifying, they sort of made it into Q3. Sorry, <laughs> they sort of made it into Q3, or Fernando Alonso made it into Q3, but couldn't really trouble the cars ahead. And, you know, looking at who qualified ahead of them, you had both Alfa Romeos there. Guan Yuzhou with a career-best qualifying effort in fifth. Valtteri Bottas up there in seventh. And then you've got, you know, Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari um, and Sergio Perez, who actually made it to Q3 for the first time in how many races? Six races or seven races, and he was only good for ninth quickest, but he did have a much better race, as we'll get to later. Um, but yeah, the race was a different story, though. It was it was inevitable, using that term again, that Max would uh, hit the front. He had the race pace, as we know, and a 33-second advantage he finished the race with ahead of Lando Norris so Lando coming in second again uh there was a lot of questions around the start whether you know Max starting from the dirtier side he's not been the greatest when it comes to making starts this year would there be a chance that you know we see Hamilton leading into turn one like we saw Lando do uh last time out in Silverstone unfortunately that wasn't the case um while Hamilton did get a pretty good start going into turn one Max did come back and kind of hang Lewis wide which allowed Piastri to jump around the go around the inside to take second Lando in stayed in third and Hamilton dropped to fourth so he had a pretty shocking start even though it was a good start um, in terms of losing positions uh, and Oscar slotting in behind in second and actually quicker than Lando as well in that opening phase of the race the medium tires working quite well for both the McLarens and despite the fact that the track conditions were the hottest that we had seen over the weekend, uh, I think uh, track temperatures reached like 50 degrees Celsius, which is, wow, that's, you know, melting point for those really sensitive Pirelli tyres. Uh, and the fact that, you know, in Silverstone, when it was a lot cooler, the McLarens looked quick and they were worried that in the warmer conditions, they wouldn't be able to get the pace out of the tyres that they did. But then pace on the medium tyres in the opening stint was, was pretty bravo. So good on them for that. A strong than Mercedes certainly in that stint but Max in the Red Bull just was able to take off and there was no catching him from there we did have some first corner drama though uh Joe unfortunately having a poor start from that lofty p5 maybe a nosebleed moment he was up that high that he couldn't uh you know capitalize on it uh he fell backwards and we had a Fast starting Pierre Gasly, I believe, who was coming up around the outside on the grass, uh, and then Joe falling behind ends up rear ending an Alpha Tauri. At the time, I thought it was Sonoda, but it did end up being Daniel Ricciardo, unfortunately. Uh, so that kind of um, hampered Dan's race a little bit, his first race back in F1 after seven or eight months away. And then the Alpines ended up hitting. 
themselves, you know, they went into each other. And mind you, it wasn't directly any of the Alpine drivers' faults, neither Pierre Gasly or Esteban Ocon. The fact that we had a second double DNF in a row, and this time on the first lap at the same corner, and the third double DNF of the season, is it's got to be pretty heartbreaking if you're Alpine. Um, I feel sorry, especially for, you know, all the, the mechanics and the crews that are working on site at the track, you know, race in, race out, they don't deserve to have a result like this, um, this early in the race, if not ever. Um, Ocon ended up having to go to the, uh, the, the medics as well, the medical center, because uh, there was a crack found in his seat, and yeah, just to check on his back and everything, and yeah, disappointing again that um, neither he or Gasly could feature in the race, you know, because they're, Possibly could have been points for them, uh, but yeah, you know that's it's been a real hard month for Alpine, really, because you know not only have McLaren sort of leapfrogged them in the constructors' championship, and you know with their upgrades, and you know easily put distance between them pace-wise, but you know from a management perspective as well, there was the news ahead of the Grand Prix last week that their CEO Laurent Rossi has been moved on as well to pastures anew, whether this means that they've just redeployed him elsewhere to see out, um, you know, like leave or something before, or see out his contract before they do decide to move on from him. Who knows? It's just, yeah, the classic, the classic Alpine schmozzle that they find themselves in and you know it could be a whole story in this you know and I've thought about uh writing an article at some point about how you know Alpine that they've promised these hundred race plans you know which work out to be like four year four year plans five year plans but then you know we don't even get halfway through one and they say oh well we're doing another five year plan and and then we're doing another one and another one and then you know what's there to show from it I mean they finished fourth in the championship you know twice now in the last five years you've got to say and they sort of plateau after that you know fourth is great you know if you're a if you want to be a midfield team for the rest of your existence but you're a manufacturer team you've you you're the only um you know manufacturer team without a customer either which is a whole nother story to get into as well about alpine about renault um but there's got to be something to give and you know we talked about it last time too with the the driver situation you know the contract saga with oscar piastri last year as well didn't really look good from a reputational point of view uh and you know not that you know pierre gasly's kind of your second or third um or like a, a b-grade driver but you know the fact that he wasn't even their first choice for that seat you know shows that you know they're they're in a bit of a pickle and then of course Ocon being on the the long-term deal he is so yeah it's going to be interesting how uh what the future holds for Alpine yes they've got some Hollywood investment um with with Ryan Reynolds Rob McElhinney McElhinney not sure um sorry (laughs) um what the pronunciation is there on that one but you know, there's still a lot that needs to be done for that team to be brought into the 21st century. And I did say, I think that, you know, they kind of are in a similar 
predicament predicament to Williams in that, you know, their facilities are quite outdated there at Enstone, um, but they're not in the same situation as Williams as that, you know, it's, it's because of a lack of funding and investment. Like, you know, as a manufacturer team, they have they have cash, you know, they're also government funded in France as well. Um, so it's just how they're, how they're deploying their resources is, is really costing them at the moment. So, you know, it's, it's a shame really, because once upon a time, I really loved the Enstone team. A lot of people would say the same thing. Um, they were great when they were, um, Lotus F1 team in the early 2010s, uh, Kimi Raikkonen and Roman Grosjean were on board, um, and then, yeah, you have to go all the way back to, well, you have to go back to 2013, when they were last sort of in contention for the championship, even though it did kind of fall away from them in the second half of the season, so, um, and then, yeah, the last time they actually won championships was, it was 05-06 with Alonso back in the uh, Renault days under Flavio Briatore, but yeah, yeah, like I said, we could sit here and talk about Alpine and, and Renault for forever, but we choose not to um, on this occasion, uh, but look out for something later on down the track uh, in sort of writing form. Um, the race did then after the incidents on the first lap and some of the some of the stuff going on early settled into a strategic game of chess uh likes Perez who did qualify ninth um benefited early because they started on the hard tire um that way they could go a bit longer Hamilton was the first of the leaders to pit um and then covered uh Lando came in to cover him straight away and then Oscar Piastri in the other McLaren came in on lap 19 um as well just to stay in the sequence and it was a great stop from McLaren for both drivers uh, Lando had 2.3 seconds Oscar had two seconds though Lando's out lap um was pretty sensational and that put him ahead of Piastri when uh, Oscar came out of the pits the following lap and I won't buy into this conspiracy or um, chat that, you know, I think it was Martin Brundle when I was watching the replay of the race tried to insinuate that, um, you know, McLaren have kind of done uh, Oscar a dirty by pitting him second, even though he was the lead car at the time of the two. Um, Lando was pitted. Uh, to cover off Hamilton because the immediate threat for Lando was from Hamilton I'm sure as well being the car who qualified faster um, in the pre-race strategy meeting or whatever they would have said whoever qualified higher would have got the pit priority I don't know um, how it is but let's not start getting carried away with the conspiracies of oh you know like they're they're favoring Lando over over Oscar this is an outrage I'm sure it's not the case yes Oscar did kind of fall behind as a result of it he was still third after the the first pit stop at the end of the day they still did end up with a a car on the podium and a top five finish for the other car so you know sometimes um one driver does have to lose out unfortunately and again it was Oscar though he didn't seem to make a big fuss about it he stayed pretty 
cool and calm and composed on the radio when when it was brought up so you know kudos to him for being quite uh, uh or having quite a mature approach and not you know losing his bananas on the radio like we've seen other drivers do um max came in on lap 24 uh which left perez and george russell who qualified in 18s i didn't mention george russell in qualifying he um got eliminated in, eliminated in Q1 because the timing of his final fastest lap was um, not quite optimal, so he missed out on being able to set that uh, final flying lap, and also traffic hurt him as well, uh, but those two did make quite a few gains in that opening stint um, and kind of came into that lead battle way ahead of the Ferrari duo as well because Ferrari did Ferrari things. Uh, the second stint of the race sort of settled or descended into tyre conservation mode, and this is something that for the future, like not right now, of course, because the competition is a bit lopsided when you lopsided when you look at the the team that's leading the championship and winning every race. But if we had more of a balanced sort of grid and and you know contenders for the title uh like having multiple drivers multiple teams fighting i would really love to see tires that are more robust and to be you know let's get get rid of not pirelli as such but get rid of you know the these ultra high sensitive degrading tires and the tire conservation phases in the race you know I want to see them go flat out and it's the same with a lot of other championships as well who've kind of taken that prerogative um that Pirelli were given uh, under Bernie Eccleston to create you know tires that can only last a third of the race and that way that, that way there'll be multiple pit stops and varying strategies and whatnot and that in itself kind of just got shot in the foot because to minimize minimize pit stops, teams found that it would be quicker to run a race by just dialing everything back and, and driving, you know, in conservation mode. And, and where's the fun and excitement in that? Nothing at all. So, you know, all these people wanting the utopic uh, or, you know, Bernie at the time wanting a utopic uh strategic variable driven race like uh, the 2010 Canadian Grand Prix was mate it's not going to happen all the time and you know the fact that we've sort of stuck with this product for you know more than a decade now you know 2011 is when when Pirelli came into the sport as the sole tire supplier yeah I feel like there needs to be a change somewhere at at some point and yes the the tire tender is up for 2025 and Bridgestone are thinking about you know making a case for a return as well and Bridgestone were the sole tire supplier up to 2010 after um tire gate or whatever you want to call it um between Michelin and Bridgestone um like I don't think tire wars are necessarily great um, a sole to us tire supplier is preferred, but you've just got to get that balance right. You've got to get that, um, you know, balance between what creates exciting racing, but what is going to prevent uh, this whole tire conservation that we do, and not you know pushing hard to get to be able to do multiple stops or you know avoid you know driving with everything dialed down. It's it's yeah. 
<laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. Um, Oscar sort of triggered, or Piastri triggered the second round of pit stops for the leaders on lap 43. Checo was also in on the same lap to undercut Hamilton for their fight for the podium, which would eventually be their fight for the podium because both managed to get past Piastri. Um, Hamilton did so after... Uh, he pitted and was on fresher tyres that was lap 50 um, and relegated Piastri to 5th Lando was in on lap 45 to kind of solidify his position in 2nd although there was uh, a chance that Perez could have gotten up into 2nd but that kind of fizzled out um, in the last few laps of the race and um, yeah Checo was voted driver of the day as well um, and a boost for him at the moment to finish P3 as, you know, with all the underwhelming performances that he has had in recent times. A few people I know, bit, bit, you know, salty with the fact that Perez was voted driver of the day. You know, like, who else can you say? George Russell, yeah, he, he did he did pretty well to come back and finish where he did um, in the points, starting P18. But you kind of expect that anyway for, for a car that's that quick. He finished sixth in the end. He beat both the Ferraris. You know, I probably would have voted for, for Lando again. Um, you know, if he did a solid job and, and was consistently there um didn't make a didn't make a mistake didn't put a foot wrong um you know oscar as well again in his rookie season doing such a great job despite all the the criticism that was being leveled at him earlier in the year by ricardo fans who were salty that you know they're like oh well he's no quicker than lando oh you know they did dan dirty it's 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 more than that you know he's been when you look at the metrics he's been a lot closer to Lando um, than Ricardo was, and I'm sure if you put had Ricardo in this car now, you know, unless he changed his mindset and drove a bit more freely, uh, it nothing would have changed. So you know, we would have still had Lando at the po- pointy end of the grid and Ricardo at the opposite end of the grid or further down. But this is something that you know the last two years McLaren have really missed with their you know, constructors championship positioning is the fact that they've had two drivers able to finish, you know, within a couple of positions of each other. Yes, Oscar's time for the podium will come, I feel, very soon. And I really can't wait. I was so gutted again that he um you know the the later race pace or the pace on the hard tires for both McLaren's were not as good as it was for Hamilton and for Perez. But I feel like, yes, you know, we've got two drivers now of balanced lineup, you know, that the points can come thick and fast if, you know, both of them are scoring together. We don't have this lopsided situation like we have had for the last two years where, you know, Norris is sort of scoring all the points with one hand tied behind his back and you've got the other driver flailing around on the cusp of points or unable to break into the top 10. So, you know, you know, despite the, the race win in Monza in 21. So, it makes a big difference when you've got two drivers able to score the points consistently for you. And that's why when looking at the Constructors' Championship now, they're 80 points behind Ferrari currently in, in fifth. Is it going to be possible with the way Ferrari is going? And I haven't talked about Ferrari yet and how their day panned out, but here's a question. 
Is it possible for McLaren to overhaul Ferrari for fourth in the Constructors' Championship? You know, they they set out the objective early in the year saying that, you know, when they get their upgrades, they feel like they will have a chance to finish fourth at the end of the season. I'm not saying that, you know, they, there's a chance for them to finish third even, potentially, because Aston Martin are currently in third. You know, Mercedes seem to have broken away from them, uh, even though it is, you know, a 39-point advantage. But the way Mercedes have been evolving over the season since they got those side pods put on and, and various other little upgrades, they brought a front-wing upgrade as well in Hungary. I feel like they've kind of solidified themselves again as being second, uh, you know, like second in the constructors. If it wasn't for the slow start for McLaren, you know, McLaren could have been up there, you know, but this is just how things have worked this season, the evolution and all that. But my question, as said previously, can McLaren finish fourth ahead of Ferrari? That would be an achievement if they did, because, you know, where Ferrari are at at the moment, let's get into Ferrari. That was an embarrassing day, you've got to say. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot going on for them, but... Leclerc ended up with a five-second time penalty for speeding in the pit lane for his second stop. Um, Russell, he was on the medium tyre. He had good pace at the end of the race. He didn't really need to... He didn't need to get past Leclerc on track to be guaranteed sixth because he would have got it anyway if he stayed within five seconds. But Russell was able to get past Leclerc for six before the end of the race and then put a couple of seconds on him. Um, And it was lucky that Leclerc ended up, you know, having that margin over his teammate Carlos Sainz to not lose another position. Although I'm sure that, you know, Ferrari would have told Sainz to just, you know, to be chill and kind of back off just so um, they finished where they were. Not that, you know, swapping their positions would have changed their point situation overall. But you had that. Then you had a horrible, horrible pit stop for Leclerc first time out. Um, 9.4 seconds. It was a slow pit stop. What was Ferrari thinking? You know, again, you know, last year where they were being lambasted for um you know their operational sharpness not being there in in the midst of a championship fight they're not even in the championship this year and you know they could they're on the cusp of perhaps losing fourth as well to mclaren who've come out of nowhere this season um and they still don't have that operational sharpness uh signs he started off the race quite well. He was he was eliminated in Q2, but he chose to start on the soft tyres, made up five positions quite early on, and then got stuck behind his teammate. Um, and, you know, whilst he even made the case, saying, look, I'm quite fast on these soft tyres. Let me see how f- further up I can get. Teams sort of just did nothing, and Leclerc stayed ahead, and then signs signs of soft tires faded away and you know the the possibility of them perhaps even gaining an extra place or two on signs side of the garage seemed to just slip away um and then yeah not to mention that uh speeding in the pit lane from from leclerc that copped him the five second penalty they're so far away from the podium at the moment that it is astonishing you know given all the fanfare and um attention that was given to Mattia Bonotto and you know the fact that you know a change needed to be made there for Ferrari to move forward 
like where's the progress are they purposely trying to tank in the the constructors championship now to get more wind tunnel and atr time like you know i haven't heard that theory before i was saying oh let's you know not get stuck into conspiracy theories here but i mean really could that be something that ferrari are genuinely trying to do to to be able to get more development time i seriously think you know and i think sky sports as well um brought this up in their broadcast over the weekend that ferrari are really lacking you know key personnel at the moment or you know the ability to recruit key personnel from from elsewhere we've seen a lot of ferrari personnel leave and go over to other teams so their racing director laurent mckees is going to be going off to alpha tauri next year or whatever they're going to be called um the the red bull junior team or sister team uh they lost dave sanchez over to mclaren next year as well um since benotto left they hadn't real they haven't really filled that void of you know because he was also in charge of the the power unit department as well i don't know if they've filled that void yet so you know fred Vasua, he's great in terms of the the pr side of things and you know sort of kind of portraying a very cool and calm uh image to the public but what the hell is going on internally um this is ridiculous that you know they've they were supposed to they had a quick car last year and you know whether it's the the floor changes that were made coming into this year or the the change in compound of tires as well that's been noted over the last couple of races they've just made no progress it seems so yeah it's no surprise that you know teams like mclaren who are coming back from another nadir last year to um be making positive noise and actually backing up that positive noise with results and and lap time and performance aston martin hit this year running as well but then they've also fallen backwards in recent races um both alonso and stroll finished in the top 10 this time out stroll started outside the top 10 and alonso really not having anything to to fight there was a moment where perez was coming through to to get past him and alonso just just didn't really well he knew thought better of it um, and was able to just get out of the way and let the Red Bull past. Not the Alonso we would have seen a couple of um, earlier in the season, I'm sure, but yeah, it's interesting to see where their development has gone as well. And I think as well, another thing um, that comes to mind is the fact that um, they've shot so far up the Constructors' Championship from where they were last year is that, you know, ATR time for them is going to be a bit lower as well i'm not saying that anyone's tanking here or accusations or accusing anyone of purposely trying to finish lower down in the championship but you know when you when you get to that peak that aston martin were earlier in the season and then you kind of drop off um and then need to play catch up again it's going to be trickier because you've kind of made all those gains and then you've lost um, those concessions you were given um, I'm hoping that they, they're in good enough of a direction or have a good enough idea of what they're doing to be able to develop their way out of it so when they do bring upgrades if they do bring any more upgrades later in the season they can kind of recover that uh, pace that they had earlier on and you know Singapore is probably one of those tracks where with those slower corners Las Vegas as well potentially could be one where we see aston feature again but yes it is 
quite embarrassing for Ferrari in particular to be where they were finishing seventh and eighth. You know, it's a solid points finish, but, you know, when you've got the likes of McLaren and Mercedes who are consistently, you know, bringing some good upgrades and finding lap time, and McLaren in particular who on a circuit which with slower speed corners, slow speed nature, um, is not traditionally their strong suit, and they've come and done well, you know, <laughs> something's got to give when it comes to the other team who was in, in con- was in contention for the championship last year. Let's not forget that. So, yep, I made the point about McLaren. Can they overturn that 80-point deficit to Ferrari? They've got two capable drivers and two consistent drivers. So, you never know. You never know. And... Rounding things out, of course, Ricardo on his F1 return, that was kind of soured, I guess, by going backwards after the first corner on the opening lap. So he was re-rendered by uh, Joe, unfortunately, who also ended up finishing 16th and the two Alpines that ended out of the race. Um, there was a moment where he was, uh, Ricardo was stuck behind Logan Sargent, sergeant who also retired from the race near the end um but they brought him in just 11 laps into his second stint stuck on a set of medium tires and he was able to make up some positions so that was good for ricardo to go back in 13 and outperforming teammate yuki Sonoda throughout the weekend so you know i think <laughs> as much attention as there will be on ricardo um in that alpha towery Given the fact that is it is quite limited by its performance, I'm sure that you know just beating his teammate will be um, kind of achievement enough, which is quite sad for someone who's won eight uh, Grand Prix in his career and was regularly at the sharp end when he was back at Red Bull. So let's move things on then and, and look ahead to the Belgian Grand Prix. As I said, it's the last hurrah before the summer break. It's also the third weekend uh, to feature the sprint race as well. And I didn't mention this, sorry, I just remembered with um, with Hungary as well. It was the first time that we saw this tweaked qualifying as well where um, each segment of qualifying sees a different compound of tyre used, which is mandatory to everyone. So uh, hard tyre for Q1, medium tyre Q2 and soft tyre Q3. I mean... I mean, it was it was a little bit exciting because you know with with teams who struggle with certain compounds, it makes it a bit difficult for them. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, the the cream always rises to the top, and we see the usual contenders feature. So um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. But yeah, the sprint race um, in for Belgium this weekend, first time at Spa, we're seeing the sprint race. Um, going to be wondering as well if there's some mixed feelings heading into the weekend um, given the events of the Frecker race and the uh, tragic loss of life that we had um, a few weeks ago there uh, so you know but these are professional athletes and, and they've been doing this for their lives they um, will just approach it like any other race I'm sure but yeah I'm sure there'll be some uh, caution and emotion out there in in some so we'll see and you know the talk as well about potentially the future of spa even though it is on the calendar for next year will it will it feature beyond that um you know speculation that spa only made it on the calendar next year because they couldn't get a contract or come to a deal for um uh, the kyle army 
instead. So yeah, <laughs> the calendar thing again. I'm I'm kind of um not able to talk about the calendar because I end up with all these other wonderful things to talk about. I promise though, in the mid-season break. Uh, I will do a little thing about the calendar. Maybe next week, we'll see. Um, but no guarantees. But yeah, maybe during the summer break, I might do a little um, special episode to, to talk about the calendar for next year, because there is a fair bit to talk about that. And I keep forgetting that, yes, the 2024 calendar has been released for F1. Let's do supercars, though, because um, they're back this weekend after Townsville, and we're having a night race, the Sydney Super Night. So split into two races. It's kind of that old, well, not really old, I feel old saying it, but um, going back before COVID, the, the Super Sprint format used to be two races. You'd have the shorter Saturday sprint race, and then Sunday you'd have the longer race with with the fuel and tires as well as um well the short race has a tire stop but you know what i mean fuel stop for the longer race so saturday we'll have the race at 7 p.m uh, australian eastern time under lights 18 laps go for it and then sunday the 36 lap uh longer race in the afternoon so exciting as always Hopefully the weather holds out because was it last year that it was quite wet? It, it made for a very interesting race, but I'm sure there was not a lot of fans uh, trackside given the um, cold and miserable conditions on the east coast here or between Sydney and Melbourne at this time of year. So yeah, the fact that it's actually earlier in the year as well by a few weeks because usually Sydney is in August um, when it comes to the supercars. But anyway, there was news during um, last week that both Shane Van Gisbergen and Brody Kostecki uh, would be heading to the States of Van Gisbergen again with um, the Project 91, the Justin Marks NASCAR outfit, and Brody Kostecki making his NASCAR Cup Series debut for Richard Childress Racing, um, and he's got backing from from Peter Addison and Boost Mobile as well. They're heading to Indianapolis for the Indianapolis Road Course event um, coming soon, so that's going to be really exciting seeing both of those supercar drivers racing in NASCAR, and some of the NASCAR regular drivers have already said that they think that SVG will be favorite for for um this event because again it's it's a road course um it's it's similar to the kind of circuits that supercars race at we'll see how Kostecki acclimatizes to it as well but you know the the current or not championship leader anymore, but um, second in the championship behind his teammate, Will Brown. Um, great opportunity to see, you know, two supercar drivers go off and do NASCAR this year. And yeah, second time for Shane. You also have the news this morning that um, there will be another wild card at the Bathurst 1000 this year uh, coming out of the DJR team. Um, a third Mustang they'll be preparing for Simona De Silvestro and Super 2 rookie Kai Allen, who's been doing quite well there. And Simona, welcome return, I'm sure, for her to Supercars. Uh, last time she was here was 2019, when she was still racing for Kelly Racing. A bit of an underwhelming stint, you know, full-time stint that, he, that she did have here. You know, the Nissans were never as competitive as other machinery around her, and there was that hope that 
and Craig Lowndes retired that um, she might take over that third car that Triple Eight had, but then that deal never went through with with sponsors and whatnot. So, you know, it, it just remains one of those big what if stories in supercars. If if Simona did have some competitive machinery under their belt, um, because yeah, she is one of the most you know talented drivers going globally you know was on the cusp of formula one as well um that's with sauber but that never really worked out uh did some indycar it's been racing with or is affiliated with porsche at the moment i don't know how she doesn't have a um a porsche uh sports car gig but yeah it'd be, it'd be great to see her back in a supercar and in a ford mustang this time as well so um that will be interesting and there'll be the second wild car that will be at bathurst because we've got the triple eight um super cheap auto uh sponsored wild card doing both Sandown and Bathurst with uh, Craig Lowndes and Zane Goddard. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, and the weekend as well. Hopefully the Sydney event will be interesting. See how we go with the further changes or the parity changes that we've had in recent times. You go back to the last time these Gen 3 machinery was able to do anything at Sydney Motorsport Park. It was the pre-season test and... You know, that was very lopsided um, with the results. So, yeah, whether uh, we'll see any of the Ford Mustangs feature up there, you know, what will the headlines be, the talking points, all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, can't wait to, to see how the weekend unfolds and then come back and talk about it next week. So we'll leave it at that. And again, um, feel free to look us up on socials hit the apex media is the twitter handle or x whatever we're calling it now whatever old old mate elon is up to don't really know how long i'll be on twitter for or how much longer we'll be on i'll be using twitter if things continue to change i might even just just jump off it all together and not even bother with threads either but yeah for now um there's hit the apex media on twitter uh there's also a link tree attached to this podcast as well uh with links to things like the raw where i do live blogging and my instagram and all the other things as well so please do go check them out other than that take care everyone have a good rest of your week uh don't injure yourselves like i have either uh thinking that you're steve smith um playing in the ashes at the moment <laughs> um, and then yeah we'll hopefully have a good weekend of racing to come bye for now